Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. You are listening to episode 41 of our COVID-19 podcast, Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and today is part three in a four-part series on virtue. Now, last week we talked about the virtue of courage. For today, I'd like to revisit what I imagine is the very first virtue that many of us were taught in life, and that's honesty, or perhaps we might say an unwavering commitment to the truth. And so let me start with a question that is at once very easy, but also difficult. Do you have someone in your life who you trust to tell you the truth? Someone you have invited to be honest with you about what they see in you, your strengths, your weaknesses, the good, the bad, the ugly? And I ask only because our ability and capacity to live in denial is astounding. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not totally blind because it's really easy for us to see the flaws in someone else. In fact, some of us are a bit too talented in this particular area. But all jokes aside, it's easy to see the flaws in other people, to see their temper or how insecure they are, or to see how much they gossip. But seeing those same things in ourselves and holding them before God without shame, but with an honest and sincere heart, Well, that, for some reason, does not come quite as easily. Now, for the purposes of this podcast, I've chosen a particular biblical figure to focus on, and that's King David. But before we talk about David, I want to introduce a term. I think that God invites us to be truth-tellers in one another's lives. Maybe not to everyone we encounter each day, but perhaps to people in our inner circle— To quote Ephesians 4.15, our call is to speak the truth in love. You see, we all have blind spots, weak spots, blemishes that we can't see on our own, and we need each other to see them. We need other people to remind us of our deepest aspirations and our values and to warn us whenever we start to get off track. We need people who love us enough to question our motives and to ask us hard questions. This is what spiritual friendship is. The point is not always to affirm and congratulate and to flatter, but rather to tell us the truth so that our life can more align with who God is and who God created us to be. And that is where the story of David and Nathan comes into play. Now, a little background that I think is relevant. The Israelites have entered the promised land, and they are now a united nation of people. In other words, they're no longer a ragtag group of nomadic, desert-dwelling, runaway slaves. They are a people. They're a nation. And like all nations, they have a king. And David was Israel's second king. Saul was the first. And the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And just to give you some background info, David is a good-looking man. He is powerful. He's an acclaimed warrior, a musician, a poet. In other words, if you were single, you know, David is someone you'd like to date, or maybe you'd want your daughter to date. He's something of what we'd call a catch. 
Well, one spring, um, it's a time when kings typically go out to battle, David dispatched Joab and his fighting men of Israel against the Ammonites. And David, he chooses to stay behind this year in Jerusalem while the others in the army fight. And late one afternoon, David gets up from taking a nap again while all of his people are fighting. But David had a good nap and he's strolling about on his roof where he lives in the palace. And from his vantage point on the roof, he sees a woman bathing. The woman was stunningly beautiful. David sent to ask about her, and he was immediately told, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, what the servant is trying to say to David, albeit very subtly, is, uh, David, this is someone's daughter and someone's wife. You need to be careful here. You don't need to be asking about her. She's taken, and you're our king. You're the moral leader of this nation. This is not something you need to be asking about right now. Now, if David were in a good place with God when he heard this, this statement would have stopped him in his tracks. But David is not too interested in hearing the truth right now. And so what does David do? Now, remember, he's the most powerful man in the nation. Well, David sends for her, sleeps with her, and then kicks her out of the palace. A real gentleman, that David. Anyway, some time passes. David forgets about Bathsheba. But then one day, the doorbell rings. It's Bathsheba, and she's holding a pregnancy test. Two pink lines. David, she says, I'm pregnant. Well, David is in a bit of a jam here. He gets Bathsheba pregnant while her husband, Uriah, is off fighting to keep David safe in his warm, cozy palace. And so, a little trivia, what does David do? Does he, A, confess his sins to the people and ask God for forgiveness? B, confess his sins to Uriah and ask Bathsheba for forgiveness? C, both A and B. Or D, send Uriah to the front lines of the war to make sure he gets killed? The answer is D. And after Uriah is dead, David marries Bathsheba, and nine months later, they have a little baby boy. Now, David thinks he's got everything under control because he assumes, he assumes that the great danger is that someone else will find out about his secret. But David is wrong. The great danger isn't that someone will find out. It's that no one will find out. And so we can wonder, how long does David live in hypocrisy? How long does he act like some righteous king pretending to worship and lead the people while inside he carries the secret guilt of murder and adultery? We don't know exactly, but the Bible tells us that he carried this dark secret at least until his son was born Uh, For all that time, David was just living a lie. And so for at least nine months, David lies to his own people. He lies to Bathsheba about what really happened to her husband. And pretty soon, David starts to lie to himself. And every day, David gets a little bit more used to deception. Every day, his heart gets a little harder. Every day, he moves a little bit further away from God. That is the truth. But does David know the truth about himself? No, David does not. Now, let's be honest. David made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. Think about it. He, you know, he stalked a woman while she was bathing. That is not appropriate. 
He then leveraged his power to have intimate relations with her, which never works out well for anyone. And then when she gets pregnant, he has her husband killed so that no one finds out. But here is what's interesting. Behind each of these choices that David made, each of these sins, was a temptation. And each time David faced a temptation, he tried to handle the temptation all on his own without telling the truth about his temptation to someone else. And what I want to say for the purpose of this podcast on virtue, and more specifically on honesty, is this. Our problem is not that we are tempted. It's not that we sin. No, our problem is that we try all by ourselves to keep everything under control as if we never face temptations. Our problem is that we try to cover our tracks all the time so that no one finds out that we're too embarrassed or ashamed to tell another person that we're struggling, as if being depressed or being anxious or scared or lonely or insecure or having doubts or feeling a deep attraction to someone were something that no one else could relate to, like it's such a weird thing to feel these emotions that it's so uncommon that no one else can know. It is a fatal tendency of human beings to think that we can handle temptation on our own. And it's been going on ever since the Garden of Eden. When the serpent tempted Eve, think about what she did not do. She didn't talk about her temptation with Adam, and she definitely didn't discuss it with God. And so when that snake started talking to her, she tried to tame it on her own, and because she couldn't, she gave in. And when that snake started talking to David, he tried to tame it on his own. And because he couldn't, he also gave in. And so what does God do? Well, God is loving, and so God sends a truth teller by the name of Nathan. And so let me read you this passage from 2 Samuel. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his own dinner and drink from his own cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guests who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Here ends the reading. And so let's go ahead and unpack this passage. You see, Nathan's a prophet, so he knows all about what David did. You can't really hide from the prophets. And so Nathan tells David a story about a desperately poor man whose entire life revolves around this one little sheep, which is the poor man's treasured possession. But a rich and powerful man who has lots of sheep steals the poor man's sheep just for fun. And when David hears this story, he is indignant. This man deserves to die, David says. And as the king, I will order his execution. Who is the man? And so David looks straight into the eyes of the most powerful man in the world. And he says, 
David. You are the man. Bathsheba was Uriah's one little sheep, and you killed him to take it. This is your story. This is your sin. This is the depth to which you have fallen. David, the truth is, you are the man. Now, thankfully, David repents. But I don't think David would have done that if someone had never told him the truth. And in my experience, this kind of truth-telling is rare. And the reason telling the truth is rare is because it takes enormous courage. It takes enormous courage to connect this week's episode with last week's. Because if we speak the truth to someone we love, things may get messy. We might be rejected. We might get into a long, difficult discussion. There's a good chance we'll be accused of meddling in what is not our business. It will cost us. But here's the thing. If we don't do this work, if we don't speak the truth to the people we love, and if we don't invite them to speak truth into our life, that also will cost us. It will cost us intimacy. It will cost us integrity. It will cost us love which is always connected to truth. And so here is what I'm going to leave us with today. Two things. Number one, we all need a truth teller in our life. And so consider inviting someone to be your Nathan. It could be a friend. It could be a paid professional. It could be a spouse. But make sure there's at least one person in your life whom you've invited to tell you the truth. Number two, We all need to be truth tellers. However, we can only tell the truth to someone if we have received that invitation, whether it's a formal invitation or an informal one. And if you want to speak the truth in love to someone else, here are a few prerequisites. Number one, you can't be looking forward to it. It has to be because you love them. You have to sacrifice your own comfort for their well-being. In other words, telling the truth should cost you something. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth is not always easy. The truth is not always comfortable. The truth is not always convenient. But the truth is always freeing. And so God give us grace to love the truth and to seek to embody the truth and to live the truth. Amen. Amen.